um, your Bible with you this morning, or a phone, some device will be looking up the text. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Um, just as a, a brief means of, of recap, the last um, several weeks as we've been working our way through Luke, um, we, what we've seen is that, that Jesus is beginning to, to divide, right? Like that, that folks are um, looking at and responding to him or not. And one of the things that he has told them was that he's come to, to sift, right? To bring division between groups. Um, we've seen that the expectation for what that would look like um, has been difficult and hard. That even last week, John the Baptist sent um, a couple of his disciples back to Jesus just to reaffirm, like, are you, are you the one we're looking for? Because John had expected there to be maybe a little more fire and brimstone, a little more immediate judgment, and he wasn't seeing that. And so we know that judgment is coming, um, but that Jesus has brought grace and mercy, um, and it's looked different than they anticipated. And so what Luke is trying to do is just give us an orderly account. He's trying to present to us and hold up Jesus and say, look, He is enough, He is sufficient. There's reason to trust and believe, but there's also reason that there's been difficulty and pushback um, and persecution, right? Because um, as, as both the, the Jewish people and the larger culture, Jesus wasn't what they expected. And so there's been dissent and disagreement. And so this morning, um, I want us to actually, we're going to be in chapter 7, but I'm going to read to begin the first three verses of chapter 8. Because one of the things that Luke does he, is he focuses, is he shows us um, that, that Jesus is constantly and consistently reaching the margins of society, um, the outcasts, the marginalized, those um, who are not a part. And in this day and age, that would often include women as well. And so I want us to look at the first three verses of, of chapter 8. Um, Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So he's referring to the, uh, the apostles here. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Luke will, will drop little passages in like this that are kind of um, transitions from one section or one theme to the next. Um, and, and this morning, as we go back into chapter 7, we're going to see a woman um, highlighted in this passage. And I just want us to note, right, like that Jesus, as he's going, it would be unusual um, to have women traveling with him. That rabbis were often supported by women, but to have them traveling with them would have been unique. I mean, that as Jesus is healing and as he's ministering, that it wasn't just the 12 apostles who are following, right? There's the crowds that are, that kind of come and go, but there's also a group of women and others, because when in Acts, when Judas has to be replaced, there was a group of those that they were going to replace from within, those who had been with him for the entire ministry. And so I think sometimes we envision it's just Jesus and the twelve. There were, there were larger crowds. And even in looking at these three names, we're just reminded of what Jesus is doing, that he's healing, he's casting out demons, um, that he's brought relief to Mary Magdalene, um, that he's reaching some of the upper echelons of society, right? If, if Joanna, the wife of Cusa, this was Herod's, household manager. This is Herod who um, 
beheads John the Baptist. It's like his like lead servant. That guy's wife is now a believer, and she's out following Jesus. Um, and so it's just I think it's important for us to note um, that Jesus is reaching um, the margins of society. If we remember last week in verse 34 of chapter seven, right? They say the Son of Man has come eating and drinking in comparison to John, who was an ascetic. And he says, say, you look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners, right? Because of Jesus' willingness to be around sinners and to have meals, that he is being criticized where John had been out in the wilderness. And remember, this was a bit of an indictment. He's saying, you have to answer the question, like, who am I? Because John has come differently than I have come, and you've rejected both of them. So let's pick up now in verse 36, because... This section of Scripture is not only going to highlight a woman, which is why we went into chapter 8, but it's also going to highlight verse 34 in, in Jesus' ministry as He has come and been around sinners. Let's pick up in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Him to eat with Him. And He went to the Pharisee's house, and He reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two de- debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You've judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Alright, so we have right, this, this scene that, that Jesus, because of His ministry, because of His reputation that is preceding Him, right, people want um, a piece of Him. They want to, to figure out who He is. They're asking the same question that Luke is presenting to us. Like, who is this guy? Like, who is He and who do we say that He is? What do we do with Him? And so a Pharisee has invited him in, right? says, come and have a meal, right? A banquet with me. And in this day, there would have been a table in the room, and you would have laid on your left side, right? Reclined at the table with your feet away from you, um, and you would have eaten with your right hand. Um, it, right, is very relaxed. Um, I think for most of us, it would feel very awkward um, to, to imagine kind of reclining with a crowd around a table, um, and yet, um, hospitality is a huge component of Middle Eastern culture. Um, even to this day, it matters who you're eating with. And so, kind of ritual purity would matter that if you're inviting someone in, 
You're telling them, I see you, I recognize you, um, I accept you, I'm, I'm going to be okay if you touch my food. Right? Like, so that you're, you're, you're saying, I believe that you're, you're pure enough to eat with me. Um, in, in Yemen, even to this day, there's a saying um, that, that basically, I'll translate it, it says that, that you would die for your guest before your brother. Right? That once you've brought someone in, you've kind of taken responsibility for them. You've got to care for them and look out for them. Right? It's not just a meal. It's, it's this whole hospitality situation. And so even for Carmen and I, when we would be at a meal, often Carmen could, could sometimes be the only woman around the table. And it was because all the women and kids were somewhere else. And they were going to make sure that you as the guests have had enough to eat. Because the most shameful thing they could do is run out of food. Right? And so we would eat. And, and as a good American, you know, you clean your plate. And then they bring you another plate. And you clean that one and they bring you another one. You actually had to leave food to show that you were satisfied, that you had had enough and you couldn't eat anymore. Right? Like there, were, there are rules to hospitality. And, and there's a lot of shame and, and honor involved in this whole situation. Sometimes in a large enough home, you would actually leave the door open, right, where someone could kind of come along um, and, and sit and listen to the conversation that's going on. Um, in restaurants, because they're mostly open air, even to this day, you would leave, um, even in the restaurant, food on your plate for those who are less fortunate to come by and be able to eat off of it. They could just come and take it. And if you clean your plate, you're kind of thumbing your nose at the poor. Right? Like things that we don't think of or consider, there are just these rules that you have to, to learn to engage. And so they're sitting there, right? They're having this meal. There's most likely a door or two that are open. Potentially some uninvited guests have come around. But this woman has come in, right? And as he's laying there and they're eating and they're talking, he starts to mess with his feet. Now, it's awkward, right? And we, we, we can imagine um, awkward situations, maybe conversation with your family at Thanksgiving, right? Maybe in the movie theater, uh, maybe in a formal setting, right, where there's just kind of an expected um, um, expectation of decorum, right? Like there's rules of things that you do and that you don't do, right? You don't go to the movie and in the middle of the movie answer your phone and, and carry on a conversation, right? Like everyone in the room is going to like throw their head at you like, don't you know this? Like we shouldn't have to tell you this. Like you're going to answer the phone, leave the room, right? There's just this expectation. And so you can imagine as this woman is weeping as she's, as she's cleaning and washing Jesus' feet, um, which is unusual, that there are others who are trying to hold conversation, but they can't help but just be like, what is happening? Like, like, like just looking. And, and there might be some people clearing their throat. <clears throat> like trying to draw attention to Jesus. Do you know what's happening? Like she's touching you. We're trying to eat. Like there would just have been a level of, of intrusion. It would have been startling where you're, you're trying to have maybe private, um, polite conversation, and this woman has now come in and made it super awkward. Now, we, we know that Jesus has already been in some awkward situations, right? Earlier in Luke, right, where the four friends bring their paralyzed friends, and they can't get in. And, well, you know, they just start opening up the ceiling and dropping him in. Like, that's pretty awkward where people are like, well, Jesus, how are you going to handle this? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Are you going to yell at them? Are you going to heal them? Right? Like that... We've seen Jesus in awkward situations already. 
But there would have been very likely offense taking place at this point. And so Luke describes the woman, and he just tells us she had a reputation, that she was known in the community as a sinner. Now listen, that could be from any number of sources. It could be um, that she had a husband um, who was a, a known uh, bad guy, right? Like who just had a bad reputation, and so she is guilty due to association. Um, it, it very likely um, is that she was potentially a woman of ill repute, right? Um, was involved in some sort of prostitution. Um, it is, it's kind of the insinuation that the passage gives us, although it doesn't implicitly say that. And so the question that we should be asking about her is, what on earth would make you come into this awkward situation? In, into a place that you know, potentially outside of Jesus, you're not wanted, welcome, received, you know what they think of you, you know what they're saying about you, and yet she's willing to come in and, and, and kind of put herself out there out of worship and love and devotion to Jesus. Like, why would you do that? Like, that's the question we're asking. The second, then, is Simon, who, as the host, right, he's obviously interested in Jesus. He's invited him in. Um, he's invited him to have a meal. But he, as he's sitting there, right, you can tell he's trying to make a, a judgment about Jesus. That he's bringing him in because he's like, I'm not sure who you are. I'm trying to figure that out. And as he watches this woman um, touching, kissing, cleaning, rubbing Jesus' feet, we see in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, notice, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so he looks, and, and now he's made his judgment. Ah, you're not who you say you are. You're not a prophet. If you were a prophet, you would know who she is, and you would never let her touch you. Because it's going to stain you. It's going to taint you. It's going to make you impure. Right? Like he's making this judgment now on Jesus because of his association with this woman. And Jesus, right, in verse 40, remember, Simon says this to himself. Look at verse 40, how it, and Jesus answered him. Right? He just, like Luke just like drops it like he is who he says he is. He is a prophet because Simon thought this to himself. And Jesus hears his thought, right, and says, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon goes, say it, teacher. Right, There's, he's back to some respect, like, say it, teacher. Like, what, what do you have? And, and I, it's just before we move on to the parable, would you just note Jesus' gentleness in this moment? Like, honestly, with Simon, who, who's going to be rebuked, but with the woman... Right, that he's not causing more of a scene. He's allowing her to minister. Um, he's addressing the question that everyone else has in the room. That he is being gentle in this. He's revealing himself to be the prophet um, that, that Simon is trying to figure out if he is. And so he tells the story. And he says, listen, and, and it's brief. He says there was a money lender. And he had two guys that owed him money. One owed him 500 denarii. Right? Denarii was kind of a common day's wage for a, a, a laborer or a soldier. So this is roughly two years' salary that he was owed. And the other one owes him 50, which is roughly two months, right? So, you, I mean, two months is nothing to sneeze at, but two years um, being behind is a pretty significant debt. And he says neither one of them could pay. 
and he just wipes it off. They don't ask for it. They just can't pay. Unmerited. And he pays it off. And he says to him, all right, which one will love him more? Which one will be more grateful? And Simon answered, in, in verse 43 in the English here, it doesn't give us the, the really the, the heart of what's going on here. It's kind of a begrudging answer or a nervous answer, right? Where he senses a trap, right? Where it's like he either sees maybe where Jesus is going with this or he's worried that he's about to be humiliated in front of um, his, his audience. And so it's kind of like, well, I know the answer, so I'm going to give you the answer, but I don't want to give you the answer. And so he says, well, the one, um, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus answers, you've judged rightly. And then he goes on quickly now to compare and to contrast Simon and this unnamed woman. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. And he turns now in verse 44 towards the woman while he's talking to Simon. And so the, what, he, what Jesus is doing here is he's looking at her while he's talking to Simon. And he's basically saying with his body, learn from her. Look at her and learn. I'm talking to you, but I'm looking at her. Look at what he says. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, right? Because everyone walked. Feet are filthy. They're, they're dirty. It's why um, feet were considered to be unclean, because they were literally unclean. And so even to this day, um, in, in a Middle Eastern home, you would take your shoes off at the door, like in many other cultures. And if you had been traveling, it would not be... Um, uncommon for them to bring a large basin of water for you to wash your feet. And in some cases, um, they might wash your feet, right? Which I know for many of you feels uncomfortable, right? But it, it's, a, it's a way of saying, I'm welcoming you in. I know you're tired. I know you've traveled. I know your feet are dirty. He says, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Like he is showing a stark contrast here. You gave me no kiss. Now again, uh, a lot of rules about Middle Eastern um, hospitality make the average Westerner uncomfortable. Um, listen, I got kissed daily in Yemen, right? I, you would meet a man you've never met, and they come up and they do you know, the cheek. It's one on one side, and then two, three, and you just got, depending on how well you know them, it's like, one more. Okay, one more. One more. How long are we going to do this? Okay, one more. And it, there was just, listen, none of you have ever done that, right? Thank you, right? Like, like I, you know, I thought, like, I could bring, I mean, Nathan's sitting right here, I could bring him up and we could demonstrate, but Nathan would never sit on the front again, right? It's just, there's, there's a level of, like, it's socially acceptable and normal, and then in our culture it would just feel bizarre, it would feel strange. And, and so, but... You would come in, and literally, that people would have never met me, and here they are, and kissing my cheek. I'd be walking down the street, and someone would just grab my hand. And it would not be a woman, it would be a man, right? And we're just holding hands, because it, it's the show of like, friendship. And, and, and they're just saying, like, I'm glad you're here, right? I walked with my hands in my pocket a lot, right? So, 
They say, he says to Simon, when I got here, you gave me no kiss. Right? He's just saying, hey, you don't owe me that. But it was, it was anticipated, it would be expected that you would do that. Right? We see that Simon, he's, there's a level of, like, I'm trying to figure Jesus out, so I've invited him, but I'm not sure that I'm embracing him yet. And so he says, you didn't clean my feet, you haven't given me a kiss, but from the time that I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. Like, not my face, my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Often you would offer someone um, olive oil, right, and, and kind of anoint their head, something that was um, cheaper. But she has anointed my feet with ointment, something of more value. And so he's, he's showing Simon to kind of be in a little indifferent, right, a little aloof, some pride of like, Jesus, I'm figuring you out, and so I'm not going to offer you even all the common courtesies that I would offer a neighbor or, or someone else in, in my community. And he's showing him like, hey, you're, you're engaged, but you're off to the side and you're just taking it in. Versus this woman who is devoted, who is pouring out her tears and her emotion and her money, who is ministering and caring. She's actually the one that's being the host. She's done all the things that the host would do. He's like, she's been the one who has taken on the role that you are supposed to have. And so he's affirming her to the crowd. It's not for her benefit. Listen, she's had an interaction with Jesus um, present, I mean, prior to this. Right? It's why she's there. You didn't anoint my head, but she's anointing my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. He's like, they've already been forgiven. That's already taken place. And she's here because of that. And so I want the crowd to know. I want you to know how I see her so that you'll see her this way as well. She's forgiven. And she's loving much because she is forgiven. It wasn't for her benefit. It was for them. It is evidence that she has been rescued by Jesus. He's, saying, he's not saying, she is, I'm going to rescue and forgive and save her now because of this interaction. He's saying, that's already happened. And because it's already happened, this is the fruit, the evidence of what I have done for her. That she is forgiven much, and so she is now loving much before you. So what, what is Luke doing in this passage? I mean, it is a powerful like very easily like seen and, and, and imagined passage. But part of it is he is revealing to us Jesus' character. Listen, um, God describes himself this way in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. This is at Mount Sinai. Um, Israel has come out of Egypt. They're receiving, Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. And the Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Right? Like he's saying, like, and he goes on, I will no, by, by no means clear the guilty. He's saying, like, it will be paid for, it will be dealt with, but there is grace and there is mercy and there is compassion. Right? He's describing who he is, what his character is like. Jesus here is demonstrating it. He is living and showing it out. Look at my character. It's unmerited grace. It's unmerited mercy. It is forgiveness on display. Beyond expectation. 
Because the beautiful thing is, is Jesus did know her. And he did know her sin. He, he calls it, he says, she had many. Like, she has a lot of sin. And it's forgiven. Like, I, I see her, I know her, I forgive her. And she hasn't asked for it. Right? It was, it was unmerited. It's not because of something she's done, it's because of what I've given for her. Remember, in Luke chapter 1, as we begin to see the birth announcement of John the Baptist and Jesus, as Mary is singing, she says this, verse 51, He's shown strength with His arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. We see Jesus literally doing that with Simon. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Right? We, we see these, these divisions happening. That He's bringing down the proud and He's, he's exalting the humble and He's, he's filling the, the poor and the hungry and He's sending away the rich. Right? That he's, he's the proud of heart. Right? That they're being sent away. That Simon's thoughts have betrayed him here. And this woman who was known as a sinner, who had many sins, he is exalting before them and saying, she's forgiven. Like, Simon, you could learn from her. You Pharisee, you religious person who would have a highly moral life. He's like, you should learn from this known um, sinner. Look at how she's responding to me. Look at how she's seeing me. Look at how she's reacting to me. And listen, she doesn't know how Jesus is going to forgive her. She doesn't know exactly. She just trusts that He's able. That it's going to be secured with a cost. A price at the cross. And He's showing us here that salvation isn't just going to be the, the, res, the restoration of Israel as a nation in comparison to Rome. But that it is internal and it is spiritual and forgiveness is necessary and required. That just because they're Jews don't make them right with God that Jesus is rescuing and redeeming and bringing them back. It is unmerited and it is beyond expectation and that contrast and that awkwardness they would have felt as they're watching her mess and with His feet, with her hair and with her tears and with the ointment that He's now brought into them in eternal, in internally. And He's saying, your sin needs forgiving too. Like, so how are you going to respond to me? A couple other things that Luke is showing us here about Jesus is Jesus' lack of sin. Right? Like, there was an opportunity for him to be angry and prideful towards Simon. Man, you study the scriptures and you don't get it. Like, he could have destroyed them, right? But he doesn't. But he brings truth. But also. There's very likely, and listen, I know this is potentially a little awkward, but there's very likely there was lust happening at the table. That if she was a woman of ill repute who was known in that way, right, as the other men are sitting there, there could have been um, lust, there could have been jealousy, there could have been envy, um, there could have been the thought of what they would do, what they have done, what they've considered doing. Right, because this vulnerable woman has made herself vulnerable before Jesus. 
And Jesus doesn't sin against her. He doesn't use her vulnerability against her. Right? Like, that He is above reproach. Not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Like When we think of Jesus, sometimes I think we think of Him only as, man, He didn't do the big stuff. Like he, we know He was perfect and He was sinless. But it's all the stuff that people don't even know that we're sinning and doing. Right? The anger that we're feeling, the lust that we're feeling, the greed that we're feeling, the envy that we're feeling, the jealousy that we're feeling, right? Like all of those things that come across our hearts and our mind, Jesus wasn't doing that. He didn't do that. And so as we cry out and say, God, I don't want to be prideful and, 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 and shame those who are wrong before me. God, I don't want to be lustful when someone presents themselves and you're, and you're wondering, is there an opportunity here? Like, God, I don't want to be that. Jesus, You weren't that. You weren't that. God, help me. And Lord, praise You for Your sinless, faithful, obedient perfection. The, the second thing is this. Um, the question that Luke is making sure we ask is do we believe Jesus is capable of forgiving sin? Because what we can't do here, what we can't do is take some middle road. Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. It's not the first time, right? He told the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, and so that you know that I'm capable, get up and walk. And here he is saying to this woman, your sins are forgiven, so that the crowd says, uh, who is this that even forgives sins? Right? And he doesn't prove it here. Jesus is saying, I can forgive sins. And so this morning, right, we have to determine, do we believe He is lying there or He's telling the truth? Because if He's telling the truth, right, He's the Messiah, the one sent by God to rescue and to redeem and to restore and to bring us back to the Father. And if He's not, then we can't take Him as a good moral teacher because He's a liar. Right? Who's claiming something that He cannot do. And He's, right, bamboozling people. We don't get to take a middle, ah, Jesus, He was alright. No, He either is who He says He is, or He's not. There is no middle ground here. Luke's not going to allow us to find that. He either can or He can't. He either is or He isn't. Jesus is being bold. And so for us now, what do we do with this passage? The first thing we, we, we do is, do we recognize Jesus? Like when we see him, do we see him like Simon? Like trying to figure you out, Jesus. A little distant, a little prideful, a little aloof. Like ah, I'm in, I'm interested, but I don't know if you are who you say you are. Or do we anoint his head, his feet, with our tears because we know our need and we are hopeful that he is the one who is going to rescue us that He's going to redeem us, that He is going to make us His own. How do we see Him? Listen, when you consider um, a rescue scene, right, in any TV show or movie, right, like when it's dramatic, right, helicopters are involved, or water, I could, these dramatic scenes, you don't ever see the person pulled out of the water, or pulled out of the wreckage, or pulled out of the fire, go up and say, thanks for that. Right, just a little head nod, a little wink. Little awkward handshake. Like that's not what you see. Right? You see tears and you see hugs and you see 
um, um, effusive praise, right? Like just, like, thank you, because there was a cost, and you've rescued me, and I know what was at risk if you didn't do it. My very life. But I'm alive right now because you've rescued me. Thank you, right? And it is like just overflowing. This woman, in her many sins, has seen her rescue. And so she is effusive. She is over the top, right, with her praise because she has been redeemed and rescued. Right? Versus um, maybe two men working on a project together, right? And one's been trying to break a bolt for a while. And he's worked it over, and the other guy's finally like, dude, can I give it a shot? And he doesn't want to give up the tool. But he does, and the first try, right, it cracks it. Like, there's no bear hug there. There's no great thanks or praise. It's more of like, it's just awkward. Like, ah, I, well, I got it loose for you, right? Right? Because there, there wasn't really like this rescue that's taken place. Right? There was, and sometimes I think we view our salvation like the guy handing another guy the wrench. Jesus, we, we were just about there. And yeah, you gave us that, man, that last boost we needed to salvation. Probably couldn't have done it without you, but we did quite a bit. And so then we become like Simon. Ah, Jesus, you're all right. Head nod, wink, right? Handshake. But if we see our sin, if we see our desperate need, if we see our longing and our desperation that we can't rescue ourselves and we are opposed and rebels to God, we are dead in our sin, Ephesians 2 will say. And then unmerited grace unmerited mercy, we have been rescued and it is washed away and wiped out by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, we are devoted to You. And so Luke is asking us, do you recognize Him? And if you do, are you in Simon's shoes or in this woman's shoes? Like they were searching the Scriptures and here they are not even anointing Him when He was King. The second is this. It's not just do we recognize Him, but that we would notice the transformation and obedience required. Jesus does not look at this woman and say she's living her truth. Hey, like, let's just add a little Jesus onto what you're already doing. Hey, you do you. You're alright? Like, you just, you just need to like, affirm me as well. He knew her reputation. Her many sin. He forgave her and then the call was transformation and obedience. It was not continuing that same lifestyle. It was a new life, a new creation, new obedience. And He has done the work of saving and of transforming. And her work now is to act in obedience and devotion. She's doing that. And he says, that's how we know that this has happened. Look at what she's doing. It's because she has been forgiven much. I referenced Ephesians 2, right? That we are dead in our sins before Christ saves us. The end of Ephesians, or um, later in Ephesians 2, it says this, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. And often we stop there. But if you continue in verse 10, for we are His workmanship, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like the order matters. Jesus doesn't save her because she is awkward and worships Him in front of people. And He goes, well, i got to give you something for that. 
She's doing that because Jesus has saved her and forgiven her, and she is now devoted and responding and transformed and obeying. And so Ephesians tells us, Jesus saves you. We bring nothing to the table that is unmerited. And then, out of that, we walk in transformation and obedience. Honoring Him because He has rescued us. When He sees her, He offers freedom, not shame. He says, yes, she is guilty, but she has received forgiveness and healing and reconciliation. how we're seen this morning by Jesus. You want to know how you're seen. He can go, I see your sins, and they are many. And forgiveness is off. Because of my life, and my death, and my resurrection. Which means we then walk in freedom and devotion to Him because He has done what we cannot do. And then it means we emulate, reflect His character back out to others who come in and do the awkward thing who don't know the rules, um, who don't know how to, to, to do the church thing, who don't know how to, to not have their sin ever before them. She is acting in a manner that she had lived and known, but with different intent now, right? Like, and Jesus sees her and doesn't shame her in that. He sees it as worship and devotion. How do we see others? Are we like Simon, arms crossed, aloof, and arrogant? Right? Or we said, oh no, me too. My sin was great. Because there is no small sin before the Lord because He is holy and perfect. We needed it as well. So the final thing for us this morning is this. Is you recognize Him? Would we note that we need transformation? It's not just mental affirmation. And the third thing is this. Would you respond? Right, this woman, this unnamed woman has responded. So do you notice that Luke leaves it open-ended for everyone else in the room? Look at verse, the end of chapter 7. Verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. End scene. However, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to know she gets up, she walks out of the room, and they're still reclined around a table. Maybe the meal continues, maybe it's over, right? Like the record screeches, right? Like it's halts and it's like, party's over, y'all got, like, I mean, right? Like there's some level of like awkwardness in that moment of does the conversation go on, right? Does someone wait to talk to Jesus afterward and say, my sin too? Right? Does that happen then? Is, is Simon humiliated and so he runs people off? Does he play the polite, but I'm really, really offended game? Right? With the fake smile and he goes through the motions? Like, does this draw his heart closer to Jesus that he wants that too desperately? Or does it push him away and he becomes hardened and indifferent? Like we, it's left unopened. It's left um, unresolved. It's open-ended. Because the offer is out there for us to respond, to receive, to be transformed, and then to act in obedience. We don't know if Simon responds or not. So for us this morning, how are you going to respond? I want to read two verses to end. 
want you to remember that she came as she was. That we are allowed to come as we are and that Jesus will do the work of rescue and salvation. This is 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then this is from Acts 3. Uh, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That woman in the most awkward scene we can almost imagine left forgiven and refreshed and like rejoicing. And those who were the invited guests were the ones who left awkwardly. The Lord brings forgiveness and refreshing from refreshment from His presence. And then one final verse. This is Acts chapter 10. Uh, verse 43. To Him all the prophets bear witness, meaning Jesus, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. The opportunity to receive grace and refreshment and forgiveness is available to you this morning if we recognize who Jesus is, if we hear Him calling our name and we respond saying, God, trust it, I need it, and I want it. It's available to us that we can leave as the woman, though her sins were many, forgiven and refreshed. Or we can leave this morning like Simon, a little aloof, a little prideful, a little indifferent, trying to determine who this Jesus character is. Let's pray. Father, thank You that although You see our sins and they are like scarlet, they are red, and we feel the shame and the guilt of them, that when You meet us in them, You can say they are many and yet they are forgiven, that You make us as white as snow because of Your life and Your death and Your resurrection. So Father, would we trust and believe that when You say we're forgiven, we are forgiven. That You do the work of sanctifying and transforming us and that we walk in a way that shows that we've received it. Devoted to You. Offering it to others. Trusting it in our own lives. Lord, this morning, if, if our rescue, if our salvation in You feels puny, God, would we simply look at our sin and be reminded of how much You've rescued and saved and redeemed us from. Lord, that You are big and You are wonderful and You are beautiful and we need You. Would You speak to hearts and minds right now. Would you bring conviction um, and then your kindness that comes with it? In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, as the 